You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. We've had a wonderful first hour. Yes. My name is Janine Bitson. I'm Brad Gray. And we have, uh, boy, great discussion, but now we're just going to hit it straight on, right? <laughs> you bet, you bet. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's just really important to have these discussions. And up next, we are going to be joined by Carlo Broussard, and he's going to talk about his new book on apologetics. So we just are so grateful that you stayed with us um, for, on Real Presence Live. And now we're going to introduce Carlo yes, Broussard. Carlo, thanks for being with us this morning. Hey, Brad and Janine. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure. Oh, definitely, definitely a treat for us. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Carlo. Well, I am from southern Louisiana, come from a music background. I started playing the Cajun accordion and having my own band playing Cajun music ah. from the time I was 13 years old in the bars and the honky-tonks and was pursuing a musical career of, as a full-time Cajun accordionist all the way up until I was 20 years old. You know, this may surprise you, I... but we don't get a lot of Cajun music up in Fargo, in the, you know, northern, northern <laughs> tier. <laughs> not a lot of Cajun music outside of southern Louisiana, period, man. <laughs> so uh, I, de- I actually discerned uh, to give up my pursuit of the musical career uh, in order to pursue theology and philosophy uh. and to become a Catholic apologist, because my heart was set afire through the work of my colleague and good friend, my now current colleague and good friend, Tim Staples. Mm. When I heard him give his presentations, I was about 18, and that set a fire in my heart that I wanted to do what he did. I wanted to do apologetics and speak and do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I started studying informally and growing in my knowledge of the faith and in my conviction for the Lord, and I decided to give up my pursuit of the musical career and pursue theology and philosophy, and of course, in God's providence, one step at a time, uh, he led me to this point in my journey now, where I'm now a full-time Catholic apologist for Catholic Answers, mm-hmm. and sharing an office with the man who started it all for me, Tim Staples. And so that's just a brief uh, sketch of where I'm coming from. I'm the, I went from the bandstand, my friends, to the Bible in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Aww. Well, that's great. That I'm glad that you did, because I remember I, we mentioned as we were getting ready for the, the interview here that I was at a men's conference that the Diocese of Bismarck put on here, I don't know if it was four or five years ago, that Tim Staples mm-hmm. was scheduled to, to present for that. And he wound up sick just, what, two, three days beforehand, and you filled in. It was just awesome. Right. It was really, really phenomenally well done. So I'm really grateful that you did respond to that call, because you've certainly been blessing people for, for a number of years now. Hey, thank you, Brad. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm grateful for your kind words, yep. my friend. Yeah, and music, that can be uh, quite a foundation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when it comes to ministry. It just speaks throughout even even if it's cajun it still speaks yeah. <laughs> it has yeah, a, it yeah. has a beautiful heart uh and soul um that music i'm not i'm not underestimating it at all i'm just saying it might be foreign to others but it's mm. it's just got a real beauty to it and uh, maybe that's just my right. bama background i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well at the time um you know in order to succeed in the music industry in southern louisiana 
you you do have to play the nightclub circuit and mm-hmm. stuff. And there was at a time when I was falling in love with the Lord and being convicted in my faith. And I was sort of experiencing a crossroads, obviously, being sure. in heaven on Sundays, but in hell on Saturdays, sure. you know. Yeah. <laughs> sure. uh, and so I had to make a decision whether I was going to uh, continue that pursuit of the musical career in the nightclub environment, which I knew was not suitable for myself as striving to be a man of God. Yeah. And so that was one of the primary motivations to get rid of it or to give it up, at least pursuing it as a career uh, because I was too sold on our Lord, and I knew that wasn't the proper environment for me. So, uh, and then my my desire to study theology and philosophy was just so strong mm-hmm. that I couldn't deny the call. Yeah. Well, well, Carlo, you have uh, an incredible new book that has come out, and we'd really like to hear more about this. I, I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but. Um, why don't you tell us about the book, and let's get into the sure. big issues that it it brings to light. Yeah. Well, the book is entitled Meeting the Protestant Response, How to Answer Common Comebacks to Catholic Arguments. Mm. Now, this book is coming as a sister, you might say, or an analog to my former book, which is called Meeting the Protestant Challenge. Mm how to answer 50 biblical objections to Catholic beliefs. That book was directed at or designed to defend our Catholic beliefs against Protestant objections from the Bible, basically taking the form, how can the Church teach X, fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. when the Bible says Y, fill in the blank. So how can the Church teach that Mary was a perpetual virgin, when the Bible says Jesus had brothers. And I go through 50 of these objections that take on that particular form. So that book is designed to defend Catholic beliefs, whereas this book is ordered or designed to defend Catholic arguments. Hmm. So the idea is, for all of these years, we've been appealing we've been appealing to this Bible passage and that Bible passage to support our beliefs. So Matthew 16, 18, Peter's the rock. That's the Bible passage to defend the belief in the papacy, right? Mm -hmm. But then the question becomes, as I've encountered very often Mm -hmm. by people who get involved in apologetics, Carlo, these biblical passages are so clear. Why don't Protestants get it, right? And the answer is they they have good reasons uh, why they do not buy or accept our Catholic interpretation of those texts. There are really good reasons that they have as to why they don't buy the Catholic argument. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, what do Protestant apologists say in response to our Catholic arguments? Hmm. And are those responses successful or not? And in the book, I go through several different Catholic arguments and Bible passages, articulate the Protestant response, and then show why ultimately these Protestant responses fail in disproving or undermining the Catholic argument, mm. so that we can continue appealing to these passages as support for our Catholic beliefs. That's terrific. I mean, it's kind of, it sounds like it's kind of a phase two of the conversation, right? Absolutely. A lot of apologetics, it, it's, it's like we hit this, and we hit the, the responses that we give, and then and then we're kind of unequipped after that. It's like, because, well, you're not you're not following with me here. You should follow with me here. And, uh, so that's right. I, and it sounds like it's kind of filling a gap that's really needed, honestly. Yeah, because we're so, so for so long in popular apologetics, we've been trained to take that initial step forward. Mm-hmm. Here's the Bible passage that supports our belief, but then very often Catholics are ill-equipped 
to be able to engage further in the conversation as to what a Protestant might say in response, because it's not like they've never seen these passages before. Right, right. And so they obviously have an alternative interpretation. What is it, and does it succeed? Those are the two questions that I address in the book. Mm. Well, that's just wonderful, Carlo. You know, for our listening area, what are some of the the bigger issues dividing Catholics and Protestants. I mean, in the Midwest, I mean, we have a large uh, German Lutheran, Scandinavian Lutheran, you know, we have many uh, yeah. brothers and sisters of Christ or baptized Christians. We're all, you know, baptized, you know, uh, sure. with the same water or baptism. But what are those bigger issues that tend to divide us? Yeah, so there, there's two levels here that we could analyze that and talk about it. One level would be what are the issues for the particular individual? Sure. You know, that like, what are their, where are they itching? And then on the other level would be more objective, like what is essentially the difference between us as Catholics and any other Christian group? Mm-hmm. So the answer to the latter question, I know we're fixing to come up on a break here, so just cut me off when it's time. <laughs> uh, the, answer to the, the answer to the latter question is that uh, the papacy, it is the papacy. Our belief that the Bishop of Rome, as successor to St. Peter, is the universal shepherd of Christ's flock here on earth, mm-hmm. and has a supreme authority over and above all other bishops, successors to the apostles, and can govern and teach the flock of Christ here on earth. That is the essential difference mm-hmm. between us as Catholics and every other Christian group. And it's going, and, and, and from there, you're going to have other differences that sort of go out in concentric circles. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be the essential difference. So you might have others, such as our Orthodox brothers and sisters, who have everything that we have with regard to the sacraments. They've got the Eucharist, they've got confession, they've got apostolic succession, real bishops, but they don't have the papacy. Mm-hmm. Whereas you go further out from the core, then you're going to get into certain Christian groups who don't have any priesthood whatsoever. And so the only sacraments they have say, is baptism and the sacrament of holy matrimony, and their beliefs and a variety of theological doctrines are going to be more different than us as Catholics as w- uh, than with regard to Orthodox Christians. So it's kind of concentric circles going out to the periphery as you get further and further out with regard to our differences. But the papacy is going to be the essential difference mm-hmm. that demarcates us as Catholics as opposed to other Christian groups. Right, and it's so radically different than the the essential foundation that non-Catholics often receive as the Bible being the sole source of authority, right? Um, we're going to have to take a quick break, but I yes. really want to dive into this more as we get on the other side of this break Absolutely. to kind of un- unpack this a little bit more to know how we engage fruitfully in these conversations. So we're going to step away real quickly, but we'll be back with more Real Presence Live with Carlo Broussard right after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. God made you for a purpose. He made you to accomplish some great work. What did he make you for? What were you really made to do? Realize your vocation with a degree designed for the Catholic professional. The University of Mary offers online undergraduate and graduate degrees steeped in the Catholic intellectual tradition. Start today in business, nursing, bioethics, education, counseling, applied theology, and more at catholicprofessional.life. 
As you think about your future, there is one more thing you can do to add certainty to your life. Write or update your will and estate plan. If you pass away without a plan, all you have worked for, both financially and emotionally, will be decided and divided by someone you may have never met before. We have some tools to assist you. For more information, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call Mike at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. Through baptism and confirmation, we receive the Holy Spirit of power and truth, who then equips us for mission with ordinary and extraordinary graces and gifts necessary for the building of the kingdom. Sometimes those graces, though totally effective, lie dormant like chocolate in a glass of milk, waiting for our faith and understanding to stir them up. If left inactive, the chocolate often settles at the bottom of the glass. It's still there, but it's not imparting flavor to the milk. So what are we to do? Call upon the Holy Spirit and stir those graces out of the bottom into the milk of our lives. Invite the Holy Spirit into your life today, and He will continue to renew you and animate your life with power and love. Don't let your expectations limit the Lord and His Holy Spirit. Expect Him to act through you. Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to Real Presence Live. We're having a terrific conversation with Carlo Broussard, uh, apologist from Catholic Answers. Um, Carlo, before we went to break, you were making the point that um, the foundational point of division between Catholicism and really pretty much every other form of Christianity is that of authority, right? And and yes. I think everything, as you said, everything else kind of ripples out from that. It, it The challenge for us, I think, is at least that I found, is that um, when we're trying to tell people or share with people like that, that Jesus set up a church to be this focal point of authority, it's almost as if for, for someone who's been formed their entire life to believe that the Bible is the sole source of authority, it's almost we're, like we're trying to convince them that people are supposed to actually have three heads. You know, like it's something that's such a <laughs> radically different thought yeah. uh, at the very foundation of reality from a, a, a biblical, uh, a spiritual standpoint that it can be a really a tough burden to get over, right? Like, how do you approach that? Absolutely. Yeah, well, the first thing to note is that we don't want to categorize all non-Catholics as holding to what you've just articulated, the belief that Scripture alone is our infallible source of authority, sure. because we do have our Orthodox brothers right, who, right, yep. uh, who will deny such a doctrine and look to the ancient ecumenical councils as having a legitimate authority established by Christ to teach us. Good point. And so when we're talking about non-Catholic Christians as looking to the Bible alone as an infallible rule of faith, uh, that would be sort of the common denominator among all of those who we normally call Protestant Christians, mm-hmm. but Christians sort of beyond the sphere of the Orthodox Christians. Right. right. And so that, it is true that that is one of the highest hurdles to overcome to try and establish for them that post-apostolic age, it was Christ's will and the Apostles' intention to transmit the apostolic authority 
to the man who would succeed them, namely the bishops, who would be able to continue guiding, governing, teaching Christ's flock here on earth. Mm. Because some will acknowledge that the apostles had a legitimate authority to teach the early Christians, and that the early Christians did not look to apostolic writings alone as their infallible guide of faith, of belief, and, and moral life as a Christian, but that after the apostles died, all we're left with is the apostolic writings. And so therefore, all we have inspired or infallible is the writings of the apostles, and that's what we need to follow. Mm -hmm. But it's clear in those very writings itself that Paul appointed Timothy and Titus and instructed them to appoint others as bishops to be guardians of the deposits of faith or the body of truth transmitted to them by the apostles and from Christ. And we see in early Christian writings from St. Ignatius of Antioch and Justin Martyr and Irenaeus that that apostolic authority continued in the succession of the bishops, such that if you wanted to belong to the Church of Christ, you needed to adhere to that succession of bishops and that apostolic authority. Irenaeus in AD 180 saying that all of the churches must agree with the Church of Rome, because it is in the Church of Rome where that apostolic tradition is authentically preserved. And so we see that there is a paradigm in the New Testament and in the first and second centuries of Christianity to where the authoritative paradigm is not only the apostolic-inspired writings, which we call Scripture, but Scripture and tradition and the magisterium. That the Scripture and the tradition, the apostolic preaching and the written word, would be interpreted and guarded by the apostolic authority, the apostles and their successors, the bishops. And that's the paradigm we see even in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And so the question becomes, did the paradigm shift? Did it change? The Christians who say that we must look to the Bible alone as our infallible rule of faith, they must shoulder the burden of proof to give evidence that the paradigm changed. But guess what? There is no evidence, neither in the New Testament nor in the early apostolic writings uh, post-apostles after the Twelve, do we have any evidence that the paradigm shifted. In fact, we have confirming evidence that the paradigm remained, Mm -hmm. that Scripture and tradition would be guided, uh, would be interpreted authentically and guarded by the successors of the apostles, namely the bishops. And among those bishops, there's one that reigns supreme, and that's the bishop of the Church of Rome. That's what the historical evidence attests to. That's what even the New Testament attests to, if we're looking at Peter. And so that's the paradigm that matches what we as Catholics, and even with our Orthodox brethren, will believe as far as authority, but even beyond our Orthodox brethren, having that one single visible and principal source of authority, namely the bishop of Rome. Mm. Yeah, that that is a very concrete explanation, uh, which is really, really valuable. But what are some common mistakes people make when trying to defend or explain our faith? Because that tends to be like, that tends to be more the problem than, you know, agreeing with the Pope. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so that's a very good question. So in my book, Beating the Protestant Response, I don't get into too many uh, mistakes that Catholics make 
make in evangelizing, although that's a great idea. I might have to write another book about that. <laughs> you know, the common mistakes Catholics sure. make in talking about these things. But here's one example. One example is, okay, Catholics go around saying we're justified by works and not by faith alone, right? Mm-hmm. We're justified by works, not by faith alone. And of course, that comes from James chapter 2, verse 24. Mm-hmm. Or we're justified by faith and works. The problem with that is that it requires nuancing as to which stage of justification are you talking about when you say that we're justified by works and not by faith alone. Because for our Protestant brothers and sisters, when you say we're justified by works, they immediately are thinking about when you first are justified in that initial stage of justification. And they're saying, well, that cannot possibly be true, because there's nothing that we can do on our own prior to being justified that would merit being justified, right? Right. And to which we as Catholics, according to Church teaching, say, absolutely, amen, 100%, brother. Because we don't believe that works can contribute to or merit that initial grace of justification. Our initial stage of justification is entirely gratuitous. That's yep. what, I mean, infants, they don't do anything, and they get justified through the sacrament of baptism. Works come into play only after we're initially justified, and works can contribute to and merit our final salvation, which is actually receiving our eternal reward of heaven. Mm-hmm. That's clear from St. Paul, Romans 2, 5-6. That's clear from St. James, being justified by works and not by faith alone. So notice how that nuance is absolutely important in discussing our faith with our Protestant brothers and sisters so that we're on the same page, because we might be talking about one thing, they might be talking about something else. And so that's one example um, where Catholics often make mistakes, I myself included, when I was first getting into apologetics, going around, hey, we're saved by faith and works, and not knowing the nuances as to what I mean when I say that, and what the Church wants me to intend or when I use those words, mm. right? And so it's important that we understand those nuances. But and, and with regard to my book, Meeting the Protestant Response, I can say this, that in defending the biblical passages that we appeal to for our Catholic beliefs against Protestant counters and arguments and responses, it does come out, those nuances are identified, Mm. that there are certain nuances that need to be identified when we're defending these passages in defense against these Protestant responses. So that would be uh, a highlight of my book, Meeting the Protestant Response, where it's equipping Catholics to go deeper in these conversations with these Bible passages, whereas it's not merely Bible-slinging. I have my passage, you have yep. your passage. Right. But we're actually pitching our tent in the camp of these passages and spending some time on them and dwelling on them and doing some exegesis, digging deep into what these passages are intending to convey to us by the Spirit of God, and then seeing in the end that it's actually comporting with our Catholic belief as opposed to a Protestant alternative interpretation. Love it. Yeah, I, you know, we're, we're coming down toward the last two or three minutes here, Carlo. But, so I'm, I'm just curious, with regard to your new book, The Meaning of the Protestant Response, this kind of second tier of conversation, um, is this intended, is it written more for us as Catholics who are going to go out and engage in conversation, or is it something that like, I, can give, I can give to a friend 
that that wants to know more, or yeah. at least they're willing to dive into a little bit here. Um, you know, how how can I utilize your book? Yeah, both and, uh, Brad. So it's going to be not only for the Catholic who's trying to train him or herself to engage in these conversations, but also for a Protestant friend. So it is a Catholic defense mm-hmm. of these Catholic arguments in responding to Protestant responses. But it can be given to a Protestant who is interested in sure. this sort of sort of stuff and has an honest inquiry as to, you know, how a Catholic will read these texts and how might a Catholic respond to the Protestant alternative exegesis. Mm-hmm. And, and so it will be very beneficial and helpful for a Protestant as well, if not being convinced, at least to get a well-reasoned-out Catholic articulation mm-hmm. of why we appeal to these passages for our belief and why we think these passages support our various beliefs. Excellent, excellent. This is just so wonderful. I I definitely have to, you know, go and purchase your book. I I need to be a better Catholic that can articulate my faith with love and with compassion, not just to brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, sharing baptism and other denominations, but even within my own, because I see in my Catholic community where there's such a danger when we don't portray our actual faith outside Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean it it just um our own ignorance can be such an obstacle of evangelizing and bring people in and i'm already writing the book uh it's going to be called grumpy catholics and how not to evangelize (laughs) but but then i decided no i want to write it as joy is the echo of god's life within us which is blessed columba marmion's quote that's my absolute favorite of his and and i just think it's so important that to be light of the light of Christ in the world, that we understand our faith better. So thank you so yeah, much, Carlo. Absolutely, yep. Carlo. We're kind you're of you're welcome. Well, thank you all so much for having me. Yes, we're we're right at the end here, but I do want you to share where people can find your book. Yeah, they can go to shop.catholic.com. Just type in "Meeting the Protestant Response." It'll come up, and they can get it on Amazon as well, or any good Catholic bookstore near them. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing, Carlo. Thank you for helping to form us all and uh, to help to build up the kingdom. It's absolutely uh, essential and appreciated. Hey, guys, thank you all so much for having me. It was a joy. I look forward to the next time. Hopefully we can do it again. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And keep playing that Cajun music. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, God bless you. We are going to take a quick break. And we're going to be talking with Father James Ermer about the baptism of the Lord on the other side of this break. So stay with us for more Real Presence Live. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 